us through your word. And Lord, as we gather to worship, Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts this morning to love you, to live for you. Lord, we confess our sins together today. Lord, we sing songs of praise to you. God, we reflect on the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ that have brought us out of darkness and into light. And Lord, this morning I pray that you would stir up in us a holy hunger and a thirst to be pleasing to you, to be serving you, to be living for you, to be faithful, men, women, students, that we would be faithful to you in every area of our lives. God, I pray this morning as we open up your word that you would help me, Lord, help me to speak your truth clearly and accurately. And Lord, I pray that you would do a significant work through us in our time together today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, this time the kids can be dismissed to Children's Church. And the rest of us will open our Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. As you're turning there, I just want to thank all of you who've been praying for my family um, we rejoice. Um, Hannah's wedding last week was delightful, absolutely wonderful day, and um, thankful for that. We are in the wedding season. Um, in your bulletin, you'll see we have two wedding showers coming up. Chrissy Mason's getting married this fall, and Haley's getting married this fall. So lots happening um, in our church with the whole wedding scene, which God says marriage is a good thing, and so we want to rejoice in that. Well, Matthew 25 this morning, as we open, your, as you turn there, Matthew 25, we're going to begin in verse 14 this morning. The, the message I've titled this morning, I'm calling it Risky Obedience. And in this context of what we're going to see in this, the big emphasis is the word faithfulness. And we think about this word faithfulness. When I was a senior at Purdue, the picture uh, behind me uh, really captured my attention. Um, I had grown up in a church. I grew up in a church. I knew the uh, gospel of Jesus Christ. I knew that he died on the cross, rose from the dead. But I saw this picture of Jesus giving a man a hug in the clouds, clearly that this is at the end of this man's life, or Jesus had returned. And at the bottom of the picture it says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And that picture startled me because I realized if I stood before Jesus, I would not receive that greeting. Um, I knew the facts of the Bible. I knew that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. I've been in church. I mean, the church that we grew up in was within walking distance of our house. We were there every Sunday. And as a senior at Purdue, I was involved in a lot of student activities, getting a good GPA. And if you ask me, uh, I would have told you that I was a good person and I was confident that I would be in heaven when I died. But something about this picture struck me. And, and what struck me as I looked at that picture, actually why I, got, I saw that picture, I was had a friend that summer who had become saved. He trusted Christ as his Savior, came back talking, to, talking about Jesus all the time. And he annoyed me because he didn't know anything. I mean, he didn't know any of the Bible stories. I, mean, I knew all this stuff, and he didn't know any of it. And he's leaving tracks on my desk and telling me I need to come to Bible study with him. And, and uh, in my self-righteous pride, I put him off a little bit. But God was working and ended up going to a Bible study with him. And through that Bible study, as God using those and opening up the Word, I had walked into this Christian bookstore that was just off campus. And I don't remember what I was looking for, and I apparently bought something, but I remember standing right behind the cashier with this picture and realizing that's not how I'd get greeted by God. And that caused me to just dive deeper into the Scriptures and to spend time with my friend and some others, and God using that to help me to realize I'm lost. But the good news is being lost this was the way to be found. 
that it was in Jesus. And it wasn't about knowing the Bible and all the facts. It wasn't just that. It was about knowing the Savior. And while my friend didn't know anything about the Bible, he had met Jesus that summer through the gospel. And, um, and God used that. And this morning, I want to spend time talking about the text that this verse comes from. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Because big picture today, that's what I want every one of us to hear. When we would stand before God, when Jesus comes back, that we could confidently hear him say to us, well done. And it's important for us then to think, well, how does that happen? How can I be assured that I would hear, well done, my good and faithful servant? How can I hear that? Well, in chapter 25, verse 14 begins our passage this morning. It says this, For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted, them to his pro- entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another one he gave two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away, and he had received the five, five talents, went at once, and, and traded with them, and he made five talents more. And so he who had been given two talents made two talents more. And, but the one who had received one talent went and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew that you are a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. And so I was afraid, and I went, and I hid your talent in the ground. Here is what you have, it is yours. But the master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and I gather where I have not scattered seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my coming I would have received it back with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, who has not even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30, fall in the larger context of what is called the Olivet Discourse. It began back a chapter or so earlier when Jesus, at the beginning of this, in chapter 24, verse 3, he sets the tone for us. He says this in chapter 24, verse 3, and he sat on the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives sits across the valley from the city of Jerusalem, overlooks it, you could have seen the temple from there, and Jesus is teaching them. And they say to him, they say to him privately, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? 
So they've been listening to Jesus talk about his death, burial, and resurrection, but they've also heard him teach about the fact he's going to come back. And when he comes back, he's going to make everything right. He's going to settle all scores. He is going to reward the just. He's going to punish the wicked. And the God's going to put all that together. And they're asking questions about that. And so Jesus is then teaching about that, about the end times, about this abomination of desolation and how that's going to unfold, about his coming and when he's going to come. And he writes, he gives them some of that. Um, he tells them in verse 36, but this coming a day that no one knows when it's going to be. And then in chapter 25, verse 1, he says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like. Okay, the kingdom of heaven will be like. Okay, what's it going to be like? Well, then we get to verse 14, down to our text this morning, and it says, For it will be like. And we'd ask the question, what's the it? Well, the it is the coming kingdom. What is this kingdom of God going to be like? What's it going to be like when Jesus returns? Well, then he describes it. And he describes himself in this. Jesus describes himself in verse 14 as a man who goes on a journey and calls his servants together. And he, just, he, he, he delegates authority for his estate. I mean, that's how we would see it today. This, this very wealthy man is going on a long journey. He doesn't tell him how long he's going to be gone, but he's going to be gone. And he needs them to manage his assets. So he picks three of his key employees. And he says, I'm going to divvy up my assets. And I'm going to give you this much, you this much, and this much. And he gives them how much they give based on what he knows they can handle. So they apparently have some, he has some understanding of these. And to one guy, he gives five talents, one, two, and one, he just gives one. Now, the talent, there's some debate about how much a talent is and how much it was worth. But many scholars would say that a talent would be worth about 20 years of a common laborer's wage. Okay, so it's a lot of money. So if we figure $25,000 a year for a, a common labor type job times 20 years, that's about $500,000, one talent. Okay, so this guy is very wealthy, and he, he says, okay, I'm going to give you, and he gives this first guy five talents. So five times 500000 that's about $2.5 million. This is mine. These are my assets. Here it is. Take care of it. I'll be back. He gives the other one two talents, about a million dollars. He gives the third one uh, one talent, $500,000. Now, if you've been entrusted with all that money, what are your thoughts? Whoa, right? Whoa. This is pretty significant. But this master knows they can handle it because it says at the end of verse 15, he gave to each according to their ability. So he's given them what they can handle. He knows they're responsible. He knows they can take care of this. They could manage what they have been given. Well, in verse 16 then, he goes away, and it says in verses 16 to 18, these three uh, employees, they all go to work. Okay, the first one it says in uh, verse 16, the one who received five, he goes at once, he trades them, and he makes five more. This idea of trading, he certainly he's investing it. He's figuring out what can I do with my master's money. He's entrusted me with this. I care about my master. I want to see him do well. And so I'm going to go and I'm going to invest. And he's going to invest. And he does it right away. He doesn't wait. He doesn't wait to think, well, I wonder when he's going to come back right away. Which fits the whole context of the Olivet Discourse because Jesus is saying he's coming back, but we don't know when. And so as soon as the master goes, he's been entrusted with this, that he gets busy. And so this guy's get busy, and he earns five more. So he's investing it. He's taking some risks. 
I mean, you've been entrusted with that money. If you're going to have money, make money, and he actually doubles it, he's, he's in, involved in some risky ventures. But he knows what he's doing, and he does it, and he doubles the money. Well, the other one goes to work as well. This guy has two talents. He also goes to work in verse 17. He has two talents. He goes to work, and he earns two more, right? Doubles the investment. But we get to the third one in verse 18. He also went to work. But he went to work in a different way. Rather than working to invest this money, he goes to work digging a hole. Right? He's digging a hole, and what's it say that he does with it? He hides this talent. He takes what he's been given, and he hides it. Right? Well, the time goes on, and the owner returns. Verse 19, it tells us that now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Now, we just push the pause button. The bigger context of what Jesus is teaching, he's teaching about whose return? His return. He's teaching us in this that he is going to ascend to heaven, but one day he's going to come back. And in this passage it says, after a long time, the master of those servants came. Listen, church, that Jesus has said that he is going to return and he is going to come back one day. He is going to come back one day and he is going to settle accounts. Settle accounts with those who, with whom he has entrusted his resources. Who's that? That's us. I mean, he is the owner of all things. He's a, he has all authority. All of creation belongs to Jesus. And Jesus has given us, he's given us responsibility. And he's given it to us. And the thing that we're looking at in this passage is what am I doing with what Jesus has given to me? He's going to return and we will give an accounting. What happens was we read earlier, the first guy comes, he had five talents, his master came, he'd made five more, and his master says in verse 21, it says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, which by the way, is that a little? Five talents, $2.5 million a little? Not to him it wasn't, but is a little bit to the master? Oh yeah, because what's the master own? He owns everything. Right? It's all his. So he's give, I've given you this much. I'm going to put you over even more. I'm going to give you even greater responsibility and opportunity. And he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. There's two beautiful things in that. Well done. Hearing the praise of his master, praising him for the good work that he has done. But now also saying, enter into the joy of of your master it's not just hey nice job but you get to be with me you get to enter into my joy which tells us something about this master he's a joyful master tells us something about our god what's our god like he is a joyful god and when he saves us he invites us into his presence to experience his joy and delight okay that's the god that we serve so this guy has five he's rewarded the second guy comes he had two talents how many does he make he makes two, and what does he hear? The exact same words, the exact things. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, why it's important and what that teaches us is that this is not all about how much money these people made. It's not at all because the one guy made a whole bunch more than the other first, second guy. Right? This guy had two, now he only had four. This guy had five, he has ten. This guy made a whole bunch more money than this guy did. The key to the whole passage is not the value 
It's the faithfulness. It was the faithfulness is what was the issue. He knew, the master said, I know you can handle two talents. I'm giving you two. What does he do? He goes to work. He makes two more. He knew the first guy could handle five. He handled five. He earned five more. And they both hear the same thing, reminding us and teaching us that this passage about the return of Jesus, what he cares about is not how much we've earned, how big of an impact we've had. What he's concerned about is how faithful we've been. What have we done with what he's given to us? That's the standard. That's the measure. Well, the third servant shows up, and we read about this third servant. He shows up, and he shows up, and he says, he begins to make excuses. He says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you did not scatter seed. I was afraid, and I hid your talent. The master happy about that? Yeah, we read earlier, not at all. Because he's saying, this guy's making excuses. Listen, I wanted to make sure your money was safe, and so I did the safest thing I could with it. I I stuck it in the ground. You gave me one talent. I'm giving back to you what you gave to me. Here it is. And the master addresses him not as a good and faithful servant, but he calls him a wicked and slothful, a wicked and lazy servant. He said, you knew that I reap where I do not sow, gather where I do not scatter. He's saying, listen, you have just told me that I'm this type of a master. If you really believe that I was a harsh man and I, this is what I do, you would certainly have done something with that money because you knew I was going to come back and I would expect something from it. If you really believed what you're saying, you believed, you have at least invested this money and given me the interest in it. And so the reality is this guy doesn't know his master at all. He took what the master gave him, stuck it in a hole, lived his life, waited for the master to return and said, oh, yeah, okay, hedging his bets, thinking, well, maybe the master will return, maybe he won't. I'm going to live for my own life, and I live myself, live for myself. All that master comes back, I'll give him what he gave me, and it'll be good. It's not good. Because the master's called him to faithfulness. And he says to this man, he says, take what the talent has been given to him and give it to the one who has ten And in verse 30, it says, cast the worthless servant into outer darkness, into a place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. As we read that in the context of this Olivet Discourse, that's hell. This guy is cast out of the presence of God. He was given this talent. He was a servant. He's cast out. Why is he cast out? Because he has not been faithful. He has been wicked. He has been lazy. And in verse 30, it says he is a worthless servant. And so as we look at all of these truths of this scripture, there are some important truths that we need to look at this morning. And as we see this, one of the first things we need to see is that what do good and faithful servants do? Good and faithful servants invest what they have been given for the benefit of the king. Good and faithful servants invest what they have been given for the benefit of the king. And here's a question for us. What has God given to us? What has God given to you? Simple answer, everything. Right? Life, breath, relationships, finances, resources, family, all of those have come from God. Every one of those gifts have been given to God. And he's given them to you because he knows you can handle them. 
They're your responsibility to manage them well. And good and faithful servants invest what they've been given for the glory of God. And we would see this. They live for the king. See, these first two servants, as soon as the king was gone, they'd been entrusted with resources. They got busy. They got busy living for the king. They were seeking to live their lives to multiply what they had been given for the benefit of the king. They were living for him. We think about that question that God is setting these, these servants up for success. That he sets us up for success. He gives us what we need. He gives us tremendous resources. The question for us is, am I living to serve the king? Am I truly living to serve the king? Or am I, frankly, just living to serve myself? God's given me all these riches. He's given me all these blessings. But frankly, what he's given me, I've dug a hole and I've stuck it in it and I'm just living my life. Now, I know where that gift is. I know God gave it to me and so it's over here. And so maybe one day when Jesus comes back, I'll dig it up and say, here's yours. Or are you truly living for Jesus? Are you truly living your life for him? The resources he's given to you. Is your, does your family look like you're living for the king? Do your finances look like you're living for the king? Does your marriage, your parenting, does it look like you're living for the king? Or does it look like your relationship with the king has been dug in a hole, stuck in there, and life's about you? As we would think this as well, we also recognize that good and faithful servants take risks in obedience to the king. And so what does it look like? What does it mean for us to take risk with the resources that God has given to us? Well, let's think about our time. God's given you time. We invest our time for the work of the king. What's that look like and why is it risky? Well, it looks like realizing God's given each of us 24 hours a day. He's given us seven days a week. We all have the same number of hours in a day, and a month, a week. We all have the same hours. What are we doing with them? How much of the time that God has given to us are we investing in just living for ourselves? And we realize we need to sleep. We need to work. We need to exercise. We need to mow our yards. We need to work on our roof. We have to do all of those things. But so does everyone else. But what am I doing with my time? Am I investing all of my time consumed with just the stuff that I have? And as though God's given me everything, I'm just going to use it for me. And I'm really not thinking about investment and how I'm going to use my time to, to grow as a believer, to spend time in the Word of God, to spend time with other believers. I'm going to carve out my time and I'm going to faithfully serve God. Or I'm going to think, well, if I have a little extra time, I'll serve God. And why is it risky? Because you sign up, you say, listen, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to sign up and I'm going to serve God on Wednesday nights helping kids. What does that mean? Next Wednesday night you have a friend call you and says, hey, want to go out? You think, man, that would be a lot of fun. I've, served, I've, I've, I've sacrificed my time already. I'm giving my time to serve Jesus. I'd love to do that. But what do I do instead? I commit to what I've, my time. I'm investing my time for a purpose that's greater than me. And we live in a culture where nobody wants to invest. Everybody just wants to consume. I don't, I'm not going to commit to being here. I'm not going to commit to being this. I'm not going to commit to serving in this because if I commit to all these things, then I might miss out on other opportunities. And so what do we do with our time? We use our time for ourselves. We say, yes, God, you've given me a wonderful gift of time, but I'm going to dig a hole and put it in the ground and do what I want to with my time. We think about our relationships. 
serving God in our relationships is risky. God tells us that we are, for instance, to speak the truth in love. What happens when you love somebody enough in a relationship to speak truth to them, truth they need to hear but they may not want to hear? Why is that risky? Right? They get mad at you. They get frustrated with you. Why are you talking to me about that? Why are you telling me about this? What about your... Right? And like, well, I'm not going to mess with that. And rather than realizing, no, God has entrusted you with these relationships. God is giving these people to you for his glory. And to be somebody, I'm going to speak truth. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it in love. Because I really do love them. But so often, what do we do with our relationships? Relationships are about my comfort and my joy and my delight. And so if it gets uncomfortable, I'm getting out. Or if it gets comfortable, somebody else is going to have to talk to them about their needs. Because I'm not going to do it. And what's happening? I'm not being faithful with those relationships. God's given them to us. We're to sharpen one another. We are to build each other up in the body of Christ. And so often it's like, well, I'm not, that's not me. That's pastor's job. That's a deacon's job. That's somebody else's job. No, it's your job. It's all of our job. If you're a believer in Jesus, you are responsible for the relationships God's given to you to be a vessel, a tool, an instrument of change to help people grow and change. God's given us time. He's given us, he's given us relationships. He's given us finances. Frankly, in this whole realm of faithfulness, finances is the easiest. It's the easiest. Why? Because you can look at a checking account and see how much came in, how much went out, and where it all went. It's hard to do that with time. It's hard to do that with relationships. It's easy to do that with money. And we think, well, what does faithfulness look like? Here, I'll make an argument. Should, do you think our faithfulness as New Testament believers should at least reflect the, that of Old Testament believers? Old Testament believers, they didn't have the completed Word of God. They didn't have the fullness of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and understanding of that. They didn't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them like the Holy Spirit dwells in us. We have been blessed to a far greater degree than Old Testament believers. And in the Old Testament, in the realm of finances, that they are told, give a tithe, 10%. And some would argue that that tithe actually includes some other things, maybe up to 20%, but let's say 10%. If in the Old Testament, faithfulness to God looked like giving 10%, shouldn't faithfulness in the New Testament sense look like giving at least 10%? Not because we're bound to the law, but because we've been free in Christ. And faithfulness, and, but how often do we use all of our resources to consume it on all of us? That I, want, I like that car, I want to eat a certain way, I want to eat out a certain amount of time, I want a certain house. And so what do we do? We say, I don't have any money left to give the church. I would love to be faithful, but I just, I just can't. No, no, no. You wouldn't love to be faithful, because if you love to be faithful, you would be faithful. But instead, we consume all that we have, and we use it all, and we think, well, if I have a little time extra, I have a relationship extra, I have a little money extra, I'll kind of tip God for the good things he's doing for me. Rather than faithfully submitting my life to him and saying, God, I'm going to take risks with my finances because if I give faithfully, that's going to be risky because there's some other things that I'm not going to be able to do and aren't going to work out. But I would appeal to you. I would encourage you. If you're wrestling with this whole idea of faithfulness and giving, I would encourage you to talk to some people in our church who've been faithful and to watch that God has never let our faithfulness suffer. And I, I mean, I don't, listen, I, um, Trish and I, when we first got married, just decided we're just going to give the Lord. And um, 
I just had two daughters graduate from college, another one in college, one wedding paid for, another one really close to it, and <laughs> figured all that out. But guess what? God's been faithful. He's, he's faithful. And there are a number of people in our church that would say the same thing. Says, you'd say, how did you do all that? I said, well, I'm a, I'm a high-paid pastor. My wife's a high-paid school teacher. We got careers that have, we've made tons of money over the years. God's faithful. And see, we think that, well, I've got to, be, I've got to control all this. Listen, part, listen we, need to, we need to get over that. We need to let go of control and say, I'm just going to trust God. I'm going to be obedient to Him. I'm going to be obedient to Him in humble, humble fashion and trusting Him. God, you're just going to have to work this out because I'm just going to trust you in this. And one step at a time because we want to say, but God, if I do that, how am I going to do all these other things down the road? And God says, listen, my word is a lamp into your feet, a light into your path. I'm calling you to be faithful today, and you let me worry about what's down the road. We get to that point in our lives, that's a great adventure of watching God and celebrating God, the joyful things God can do in our lives. And he does. He is so, so faithful to us, overwhelmingly faithful. He loves us. He's not going to let us. We're say, well, I'm going to be faithful to God, and he's going to ruin my life. That's not how it works. We are faithful to him, and what do we hear in this? Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been, you've been faithful over a little. I'm going to give you even more and enter into my joy. Enter into the joy of your master. It's what God calls us to. As we see the king, those who are good and faithful servants, they live to serve the king. They take risk in obedience to the king. And they are rewarded with praise and the joy of the king. That's the best thing there is. The joy and the praise of the king. Can you imagine? This, this actually idea boggles my mind still that God would say to his servants, who he's given everything to, he has given every life, breath, and everything. We get to heaven, we're on our faces worshiping him, delighting in him, and he says to us, this is Steve Wicker imagination, he says to us, hey, stand up. Well done. Well done. I gave you all that, and I know you're here rejoicing because I've given you new life, and, I've given, and you're here, and you want to praise me for all that, and that's all right. That's exactly what you need to do. But I want to let you know, well done. Enter into my joy. Wouldn't it be awesome to hear that? To have that passion to know that I, we can hear that as we live in faithful, humble obedience to our Lord one step at a time? And we recognize, how do we do all this? It's ultimately through the gospel, that Jesus has died for us and risen from the dead, and he's give, given us new life. And so that's why I'm going to live for him. That's why I'm going to risk for him. That's why I'm going to be faithful to him. It's not so that I'll earn his favor, but because he's already poured out his favor to me. And because he's poured out his favor to me, that's why I want to say I want to serve you, because you've been so good to me. And it's an overflow of gratitude. But on the other side of this, what happens to the other side? This is what good and faithful servants do. They invest. What about the wicked and lazy servants? The wicked and lazy servants, that they, what happens? They hide what they are given, and they are worthless to the king. This is a sobering, sobering passage. 
This servant who came back, he was humble, he was afraid of you, king, and all that. Here's what you had. I think he expected at least a pat on the back, so thanks for the money, get back to work. Not what he received at all. He received condemnation from his master for failing to be faithful. Why? Because this guy doesn't genuinely know the king. He doesn't know him. He considers him a hard servant doing all this stuff. And, that, and it's like, hey, dude, pay attention. Do you realize he gave you that money to do something with? That's not what stingy, tight-fisted people do. Did you just see what he did to these other two guys? They, he's not nasty at all. He rewards those who are faithful. So this guy doesn't know his master at all. We also see that those who are wicked and lazy servants don't serve the king. They don't serve the king because they're too busy serving themselves. They dig a hole, put, they think, you know what? I know these things about God. I had this experience with God in the past, and I'm digging a hole, and I'm putting the ground. I'm going to live my life like I want to. When the master comes back, I'm going to dig it out of the hole and say, here it is. And we expect him to say, oh, great job, Steve. It's not what he says. He says, you wicked and lazy servant. What I gave to you, you didn't do anything with it? Really? And he's so they don't serve the king. And what is the result that is a result of that? They are sent into the outer darkness by the king. They are excluded from his presence. Not just like, oh, they get this corner shack over here. You know, they just don't get to celebrate and be with the joy. They're kicked out. They're sent away into outer darkness. And you'd say, that's harsh. Why such a harsh response to this lack of faithfulness? And here's how I'd summarize it. That faith without faithfulness is dead. And I think there are a lot of people in our Christian circles that think, I've got faith, I've got faith, but they're not faithful at all. They're not faithful with their relationships, their finances, their time. They're not faithful with any of that living for themselves, faith without faithfulness is dead. We see that spelled out in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. 8 and 9 were saved by grace through faith. For what purpose? We're created for good works. We're saved to serve. We're saved to be faithful. And this faith without faithfulness is dead. Many of you are ahead of me, and we get to these James passages that says that also faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, if it doesn't have faithfulness, it's dead. For the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works. What are works? Works are faithfulness. I'm serving God and faithfully. What is it? It's dead. And there are multitudes of people that one day are going to be confronted with this. Turn with me back to Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, this idea of faithfulness is the idea of doing what God says with what God's given to us. God says, do this. I'm not going to do that, God. I buried what you told me to do. I'm going to do what I want, and we'll see how that works itself out. Well, here's how it works itself out. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Not everyone who says, I have faith, I have faith, will enter the kingdom of God, but those who do the will of God, who are faithful, will enter. How does it say at verse 
22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Why does he say depart from them? He never knew them. What's the evidence? There's no faithfulness. We can look look the very next verse. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, so I have faith and I'm faithful, will be like the wise man who builds his house on a rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blow and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. The rock of what? Hearing and doing God's word. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains fell, the floods came, the winds blew, beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Why I want to spend time in Matthew 25 for us this morning is because I don't want your house to fall. I don't want you to stand before God with the assumption that I'm going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, when there's been a lack of faithfulness and you would hear from the Father, depart from me. I never knew you. My, my desire as a pastor is to stand with all of us in eternity together, that we're standing before the throne of God and God's looking at us and it says to us, not just as individuals, but as a body of Christ, he says, well done, my good and faithful servants. I have entrusted you with all of these resources and you multiplied them because you are faithful. That we would stand before God with that confidence. This is what God calls us to. And these things that God calls us to, these truths, again, it's all rooted in the gospel. Why be faithful? Because he's been faithful. Why love him? Because he's loved us. Why deny ourselves and take up our cross? Because he denied himself and took up his cross. That we would love him because he has loved us. And the question for us is, will we be found faithful? Not just faithful to truth, and I'm faithful to doctrine, which that's huge. We're big on that. Faithful to doctrine, but faithful to truth applied living out the implications of the work Jesus has done in us. Faithful in your time, faithful with your mind, working to memorize Scripture, spending time in God's Word, faithful with your money, taking risky obedience, being risky in your obedience to God with that, in your abilities, in your relationships. And we see this, that God would call us by faith that we would invest what we have for the benefit of the King, that we would be a people who are pursuing God's praise We're pursuing God's praise. How? By being good and faithful servants. That we would not just seek his praise, but we'd also seek his abundance. Those who've been given much more will be given. That we would seek this abundance. That we want to multiply God's work. I want to see his work multiplied in my life. And so we'll pursue his abundance by being good and faithful servants. And that we would also pursue God's joy that we would pursue His joy, entering into His joy for all of eternity, delighting in a joy that we can't even imagine now, that exceeds the greatest joys that we have now, that we'd experience those for all of eternity in the presence of our Lord because we we have humbled ourselves in His work of grace that we are good and faithful. And as you filled out your blanks there, what words repeated three times? Faithful, faithful, 
faithful. That's the point. That's what I want us to see. Listen, this is serious business. I don't want to be ashamed or embarrassed when the Lord comes back, and I don't want you to be ashamed or embarrassed when the Lord comes back. I don't want you to suffer loss. I want us together with confidence to say, God, I want to hear you're good and faithful, well done, and I'm humbling myself before you, and I'm going to walk in faithfulness. And I would encourage you this morning to maybe identify a couple areas in your life to think, you know what, this is an area and this is an area. These are two areas I need to really step up in my faithfulness. Because if somebody would look at it objectively, it's clear I've not been faithful. Time, money, relationships, resources. Take a look. Take an inventory. Listen, take an inventory before Jesus comes back. And get busy. Because he's coming back. And he's coming back. And I want to be a glorious celebration for every one of us as we would delight in the work that he has done for us through Jesus and that we've responded to that by being a faithful people. And that we would see this greeting one day. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful that you have been faithful to us Lord, thank you that you have demonstrated your love to us over and over and over and over. Lord, we have no excuse not to be faithful. Lord, we read a servant who saw as harsh and, and, and unfair, but God, we know that's traded to us, your goodness and grace in Jesus Christ. We can't imagine good you truly are. So Lord, I pray that you would stir in us this morning. Lord, stir in us a desire to be faithful faithful in every part of our lives. God, open our eyes and our minds to areas we've been unfaithful. Give us the grace that we need to continue to pursue faithfulness. And God, I thank you so much for those who are being faithful. Lord, those who are striving and those who are committed and and, and that they are on a path and they can humbly yet confidently conclude that they will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And so God, help us. Help us to humbly faithfully serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.